Lord, the, your word says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Lord, help us to live our lives in response to the grace that you show us, Lord, that we will be ready for that day to meet you face to face. Lord, as Eric comes this morning, Lord, open our ears to hear, help our minds to be ready to receive your truth. Our hearts will be open to hearing from you, Lord. Lord, and we would be ready to be a doer of your word and just not a hero only, Lord. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you guys take your seats? Well, welcome to Family Church. My name is Eric Hovind. I am uh, from Pensacola, Florida, and I get the privilege of traveling around and educating people on how to defend their faith in God. Let me just tell you a startling statistic. I travel all around the country and uh, around the world, and 95% of the people I meet that claim to be Christians cannot defend their faith in God's Word. It's amazing how many people cannot adequately defend their faith in God's Word. I get to meet a lot of different skeptics. I get to talk to a lot of different people about God and about the Bible and how we know Christianity is true. And uh, I, how, how many of you, do you guys ever talk to skeptics? Any of you ever talk to unbelievers? Anybody? How many, of you, how many of you have somebody in your family or you have a friend that is a skeptic and they, they literally, they need prayer. You, the, God needs to work in their heart. You, let's do something. I just spoke last night up in uh, Cape Coral and I met uh, Jenna who is 16 years old and Nick who is over 50. He didn't tell me how old he was but he said he's over 50. And they were skeptics. And we talked for quite a while last night. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is what exactly is going through the mind of the skeptic? What is it that they're thinking? How should you engage the skeptic when it really comes to that mindset? What exactly are they thinking? And so can we just pray for those friends of yours, the family members of yours? I'm going to pray for Nick and Jenna and ask that God would literally speak to their heart. Because we know according to Scripture, 2 Timothy 2.25, unless God grants them repentance, they'll never see the truth. 2 Timothy 2.25, unless God grants repentance, they'll never understand or see the truth. So your number one weapon against your skeptic friend or your skeptic family member is prayer. Praying that God would grant them repentance. So let's start this morning as we uh, have just a few minutes together and I get to try to tell you what the skeptics are thinking. And let's just pray for the skeptics specifically, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to talk about your word and the truths of your word. God... This morning we come to you and we recognize who we are praying to. Hallowed be thy name. Jesus, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. So God, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we ask, we beg, we plead with you to open the eyes of the blind. God, would they be, would they be able to see you and see your gospel and see your glory because you grant them repentance and allow them to see the truth. God, there are many here with family members or friends or co-workers or business partners that are, that are skeptical. They don't believe you and they don't believe your word. Heavenly Father, would you open their eyes? God, this morning I pray for Jenna, that sweet 16-year-old girl that doesn't know you and questions everything you've said. God, I pray for Nick. God, you showed him so clearly how he is using your your morality and judging you by it. Oh, God, would you open his eyes. 
Please, God, open the eyes of the blind, I pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, my, my name, like I said, is Eric Hovind. Uh, I am 35 years old. I was born at a very early age in Kankakee, Illinois. I was actually born uh, at, at my house because uh, that's where my mom was, and I wanted to be close to her during that part of my life. It's really important to me. Uh, I have been raised in a Christian home all my life, although I didn't accept Christ until I was 21 years old. And kids, I don't know where you're at. If you're just having the faith of mom and dad, well, you need to get your own faith, okay? You need to understand what real Christianity is all about. And God needs to open your eyes if he's never really done that. I became a product of my environment, was raised in church, went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday nights, Tuesday nights, and Saturday nights. So I was in church all the time growing up. I have heard thousands upon thousands of sermons, and it wasn't until I was 21 years old that I heard a message called Hell's Best Kept Secret by Ray Comfort. And he challenged me, and he showed me the modern gospel. Hey, man, just come to Jesus. He wants to give you a great life compared to the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel being, hey, repent of your sin. You've sinned before an almighty God. And I was really good at repenting in front of other people, being sorry to my mom and dad, being sorry to my pastor, my youth pastor, my principal, Sorry to him a lot. Um, but I was really good at being sorry to people. And it wasn't until I was 21 that the Holy Spirit said, Eric, your sin isn't against them. It's against me. Like David, when he sinned and broke all 10 of the Ten Commandments, when he sinned with Bathsheba, murder, adultery, every single one of them, he broke all 10. When he was confronted, he rent his clothes and said, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. And I realized my sin isn't before other people. My sin is before the creator of the universe. And God granted me repentance, allowed me to be sorry for it, turn from my sin and turn to Christ as my Savior. And man, I've been on a journey to know God ever since. I mean, I've been on a quest for understanding God's glory. What is God's glory all about? Oh, it's been an exciting journey for me over the past uh, 13, 14 years for me. So I want to share with you, I get to talk to a, a lot of skeptics. I want to talk to you about the mind of the skeptic. Let me introduce my family real quick. I got a couple of them with me. This is my lovely wife, Tanya. Actually, it's not my wife. It's just a picture of her. But uh, anyway, she's, she's uh, in the back back there. My wife, Tanya, is with me. We've been married for 14 amazing years. It's been 14 and a half altogether. But anyway, 14 of those have been amazing. It's been good, if you guys know what I mean. Uh, we hit our rough patches. The first year was definitely, how many of you, first year was kind of the hard one for you? Anybody out there? Yeah? Okay. That's, whew, we made it. We're at 14 and a half now. So we're going. God has blessed us with three amazing kids, Stephanie, Angie, and Jordan. And two of them are with me, Jordan and Angie. My youngest two are with me on this trip. Uh, you can tell, man, my kids, they are absolutely gorgeous. They get all their good looks from their dad. It's because their mom still has all of hers. <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, she's gorgeous, I know, all right, all right. Um, and I have a ministry called Creation Today that I launched in 2007. I've grown up in a creation ministry. I love what I do, getting to teach people the truth of creation versus evolution. We, uh, we do a show every week called the Creation Today Show that's broadcast on our website, creationtoday.org. Uh, I would ask how many of you have seen it, but since most of you probably haven't, I don't want to make myself feel bad, so I won't ask, all right? How many of you have seen the show? I knew it. See, oh, my wife and my kids. There they are. Thank you, guys. Thanks for watching the show. And my mom watches it, so I'm good. I don't care if you guys have seen it or not. Mom watches it, okay? Anyway, we uh, produce that show. And we have a website called Creation Today, and it's all about equipping you to defend your faith in God. So let's jump right into equipping your faith. Oh, we did a conference, and uh, Casey was at the conference last year that we did. Were you there with him? You didn't go to the conference. Okay. <laughs> Casey went to the conference. You were there. Oh, perfect. Thank you, guys. Was it good? Did you guys enjoy that? 
amazing conference, teaching us how do we defend our faith in God? What is the bottom line? How do you get down to the proof of God? What exactly is it? Psalms chapter 11, verse 3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now there's an implication in this verse, isn't there? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Implies if the foundations are destroyed, the righteous can't do much, can they? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let me just tell you, if you look around our society, I don't know if you guys are very uh, uh, observant about what's happening in America today, but the foundations are being destroyed. How many of you guys figured that out already? You didn't even need me to tell you that. You already had that figure. Yeah. The foundations are being destroyed. And if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You can't do anything once the foundations are destroyed. You've got to go through a whole rebuilding process. You study history, that's exactly what happens. The foundations are destroyed and it gets bad. Really, really bad. Until a generation rises up and says, you know what? Let's go back to the absolute authority. Let's run things the way God says to run them instead of the way we think we ought to run them. And then you go back to a spiritual awakening which leads to prosperity again and it leads to all the good stuff. Guys, we've passed that stage and we're into the apathy and the dependency. And now today, the foundations are being destroyed right out from under us. So what are you going to do about it is the ultimate question. Let's talk about the mind of the skeptic. In life, there are four fundamental questions that you're going to try to answer, okay? Write these down. These are going to be on the quiz. Some of you have already had plenty of time. You're retired and you've sat around. You've already figured out the answer to these questions. Some of you don't even know the questions yet. Guys, I'm going to help you out. Write these down, okay? Here are the four fundamental questions of life. You're going to try to figure these out. Here they are. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going when I die? That's it. You're going to spend your entire life trying to answer those four fundamental questions. Now, the way you answer those will depend on your perspective of the world. We call that your worldview. How do you view this world? What do you think is going on here? So your worldview determines how you answer those four fundamental questions. Some people look at this world, they say, you know, it's amazing that a Big Bang made this world from absolutely nothing. You say, you're kidding, they don't really teach that. Yes, they really teach that. The Big Bang made the universe from absolutely nothing. Zero, nada. That's literally what they say. It's in Discover Magazine and Scientific American and the textbooks today. That's what they're teaching. So some people say the world was made from nothing. By the way, this is kind of the humanist worldview. The humanist worldview says man is God. We're not going to answer to anybody when we die. Humanism, by the way, says the end of all being is the happiness of man. The reason we live here on this planet is for our own happiness. That's humanism, the humanistic worldview. That is totally opposite of true Christianity. See, according to creation, we believe God designed this world. It's incredibly designed. God's a genius designer. It's the creation worldview which says God is God and he's going to judge everybody one day. By the way, just a little side note. I don't know if you guys already knew this or not, but um, I need to turn my Wi-Fi off. Uh, God is God and he's going to judge everybody one day. Judgment Day is coming soon to a city near you, okay? <laughs> Get ready for Judgment Day. That day really is going to come, okay? So Christianity says, no, 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 the end of all being is the glory of God. Loved your sign outside. It said that's what it's about, about the glory of God. The reason for our existence is God's glory. 
Now, I, I love Pastor Casey. I had Pastor Casey back in youth group years ago. And I'm telling you, when he was in youth group, I saw, I said, man, God is going to use this young man because he hungered for truth. Didn't matter what, wherever truth was, that's where Casey wanted to be. And I love talking to Casey about the things that God is doing with you guys and how, how you guys are going, you know what, let's live the Christian life. Let's not just talk about it. Let's not just be theoretical about it. Let's put it into practice where we're at. And man, I love hearing the stories of the things you guys are doing. And it's not always easy to go back to God's word and say, okay, God, what do you want us to do? It's easy to be comfortable and do what we've always done. So I'm really, I got to tell you, I feel like the Apostle Paul, when he started the book of Romans, when he was writing to the, the Christians in Rome, he said, I can't wait to come meet you because I've heard about your faith and I've heard about what you guys are doing in the midst of, of intense persecution. And I feel that way. I go, man, I, I, I've been looking forward to coming down here and just getting to meet you guys this morning because I hear stories about what God is doing in your church and it excites me. It thrills me to know that you guys are saying, God, what do you want us to do? We'll do it. That's awesome. I love that. I really do. I really appreciate that. Most churches today, by the way, Humanism is in it big time. And most of the people in the church are there for their happiness, not for God's glory. Don't let that be said of family church. Live for God's glory, not for your own. Please live for God's glory. Hey, here's the two basic worldviews on a timeline so you can know what they mean or know what they teach. Creationists believe that about 6,000 years ago, God created the heavens and the earth. We don't put an exact date on creation. Some Bibles try to do that. If you ever read the old Schofield reference Bible, he said, uh, Adam was made October 23rd, 4004 BC at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> you can't get that close from Scripture. We do know, though, that Adam was made in the afternoon because it was just before Eve. It's <laughs> the only clue in Scripture we got about that. <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, 6,000 years ago, God created the heavens and the earth. 4,400 years ago, there was a flood that destroyed the world. 2,000 years ago is when Jesus Christ was here, and now here we are today in the year 2013, waiting for the return of Christ, which I hope happens right now. If he does that when I say that one day, it's going to be really cool. Okay. We compare that to what evolutionists believe. Here's the basic evolution worldview. This is what the, your tax dollars are being paid to support, okay, or going to support in the public school. This is the foundation for the education system in America today. This is what they're being taught. Somewhere between 13 and 20 billion years ago, there was a big bang when nothing exploded. I'm not making that up. That's literally what they teach. Nothing exploded somewhere between 13 and 20 billion years ago, created all the matter that we have today. Then 4.6 billion years ago, the earth formed. The ball of dirt you're on right now, 4.6 billion years old. And it, it was kind of a rocky crust as it cooled down. And, and then it rained on the rocks for millions of years. You say, well, where did the rain come from? Well, they don't know, but it doesn't matter. Trust them. They're scientists, okay? And after millions of years of rains, uh, it, it created the oceans on the earth. And that's, that's why we have these beautiful oceans is because it rained for millions of years. Well, the oceans eventually mixed with the rock and made something technical called soup. That's literally what they call it, prebiotic soup. Anyway, th this soup formed from the oceans mixing with the rock. And then three billion years ago, something happened to the soup. It got struck by lightning. We're not exactly sure how it happened, but, you know, we're still figuring that out. But anyway, the soup came alive. And then it found somebody to marry <laughs> and something to eat, soup. And now, here we are right now today, guys, guess what? We are the product of an accident when life evolved from soup three billion years ago, mankind evolved three million years ago, and look, here we are today, evolution, 
at its finest. What are you guys laughing at? <laughs> this is literally what they teach. You say, you're exaggerating. No, I'm serious. That is literally what's being taught in the science textbooks today as science. That's a fairy tale. Matter of fact, if you believe it, you're going to use that to answer the four fundamental questions of life. Science can't answer those questions. If you answer those questions using that worldview, then that becomes your religion. Did you know evolution is actually a religious worldview? Has nothing whatsoever to do with science. Anyway, we cover more of that in the beginnings series, okay? Hey, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Guys, our foundations are being destroyed here in America and literally around the world. Not too many cultures around the world desire to found their culture on God's word. It's not too many like that around the world. Joseph Stalin said, America is like a healthy body and its resistance is threefold. It's patriotism, it's morality, and it's spiritual life. If we can undermine these three areas, America will collapse from within. What do you think is being undermined in America today? Those three areas. And America eventually will collapse from within. This is from the National Science Teachers Association. I printed this off a couple days ago or a couple weeks ago now. Uh, on the uh, teaching of evolution. Here's what they say about the teaching of evolution. Evolution is the major unifying concept in science and should be emphasized in K-12 science education. If, a stu if evolution is not taught, students will not achieve the level of scientific literacy needed to be well-informed citizens and prepared for college. If you don't believe in evolution, you're not going to be a good citizen and you're not going to be prepared for college. What? This is like, these are the standards that they set for it. They say this is how important it is. Check it out. September 13th, 2013. New findings challenge the assumption about origins of life. Before there was life on earth, there were molecules, a primordial soup. I told you, that's what they call it. Okay, I even found some of it in the grocery store. Check it out. Good stuff, but you got to wait 4.6 billion years to cook it, okay? It takes a little while to cook, but once you get it cooked up, it's good stuff. Anyway, they say, at some point, a few specialized molecules began replicating. This self-replication, scientists agree, kick-started a biochemical process that would lead to the first organisms. But exactly how that happened, how those molecules began replicating, <laughs> has been one of science's enduring mysteries. What are they saying here? They don't have a clue how that happened, do they? They think they deal in scientific facts. This is not scientific fact. This isn't even scientific fiction. Because fiction, they would at least make something up for how it might have happened. It's not even a hypothesis. They just simply say it as if it happened when there is no, no, no evidence that this takes place. They got nothing on it, but they're shoving it down your kids' throats as if it's absolutely true. Christopher Hitchens said the duel between Christianity and atheism is the most important in the world. And let me tell you something. We are in a battle now, Christianity versus atheism, and it's big. It's much bigger than you think. Richard Dawkins is on record. He says this. It is absolutely safe to say that if you meet somebody who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane. Or wicked, but I'd rather not consider that. What? Then he said, creationists are ignorant. Jesus Christ would have been an atheist if he knew what, we, what scientists know today. Wow. 
Bill Nye, the science guy. How many of you guys know Bill Nye, the science guy? Okay. He said, within a few hundred years, the Christian worldview just won't exist. There is no evidence for it. Guys, I had the opportunity to go meet Bill Nye two weeks ago. I heard he was going to be speaking at the University of Florida in Gainesville. I'm in Pensacola, so I thought, you know, I'm going to drive over there. Well, they said it was going to be a packed house, and it was a packed house to hear Bill Nye speak. I, I, when I heard a couple weeks earlier before he, was going to speak, uh, before he was going to speak, I called up a friend of mine, Ray Comfort, that I told you about, that it tells Best Kept Secret. He had done a DVD called Evolution Versus God. How many of you have seen Evolution Versus God? How many of you have not seen Evolution Versus God? How many of you do not like raising your hand in church? A couple of you, okay. Thank you for raising your hand. Um, he did a DVD called Evolution Versus God. Phenomenal DVD. I said, Ray, Bill Nye is speaking at University of Florida. I want to pass out your DVDs. He said, absolutely. He sent me a thousand of his DVDs to give away. We got there to the event. The doors open at 7 o'clock. The event starts at 8 o'clock. We get there a little after 6.30. And it is an evangelist's dream come true. People had been lined up since 3 o'clock that afternoon to hear Bill Nye speak. There was a line that went a quarter mile long of people standing there with nothing to do. Hey guys, we had 25 volunteers. We went and did a thousand DVDs like that. And it's evolution versus God. He goes to the top scientists and says, hey, what evidence is there of Darwinian evolution? And they got nothing for Darwinian evolution. Absolutely nothing. Anyway, anyway, uh, great DVD. So I, I go there and uh, uh, I, I realize that um, I had, an, I had an opportunity uh, to have somebody stand in line for me for those that didn't have tickets. If they had any extra tickets, they had a line for that. And so I had a friend go stand in line. Well, he stood there in line, and, uh, and, and I went over when they started letting them in. And, and, and anyway, I, I ended up getting the very last ticket to the event, the very last one. I got in to hear Bill Nye. So I go in there, and I hear Bill Nye, and, and he talked about the human population, how and he's a good communicator. He's, he's, he's a comedian. He can communicate well. Really got those. There's about 2,000, maybe a little more than 2,000 uh, students in the, in the audience there. Most of them atheists. Most of them skeptics. And, and, uh, and so he talked about the human population. He said he remembers as a boy being at the World Fair in New York City when the human population in 1964 went from 2.9999999 billion to 3 billion people. He said, ladies and gentlemen, today there are more than 7.1 billion people on the planet. Today there are. Wow. He said, in your lifetime, population will be somewhere on 10 or 15 billion people. Well, at the end, after his talk and his whole deal was, hey, you guys can change the world. You guys are going to have to learn how to take care of asteroids and boo, 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 shoot them so they don't hit the earth. And you guys can change the world. Stop global warming. Change the world. Well, at the end, he said he'd have a question answer time. Well, I was up in the balcony, and I happened to see the guy that had the microphone. I thought, you know, I'd like to ask Bill a simple question. So I went down and stood by the guy that had the microphone. And then when he put the podium, went, went down to the front of the balcony and put the microphone down there, I just followed him. So I was the first one in line on the balcony. <laughs> Bill Nye is not exactly fond of Christians, just so you know. He... He, he thinks you guys are what Richard Dawkins thinks. Stupid. <laughs> okay. So I go down and I'm going, okay, what do I ask? How, how do I 
communicate with, with Bill Nye. Get one shot, one question. That's it. It's not like this is a one-on-one conversation. This is just, hey, I'm just a member of the audience. So somebody down here asked a question, then somebody down here asked a question, then it was my turn up in the balcony. And, and uh, so I said, hey, Bill, you, you, you mentioned that in 1964 there were 3 billion people, and today there's over 7 billion people. I said, if we trace that backwards, how far back does it go? The human population being at 7 billion, how, when you calculate the math, how far back, when did it get started? He goes, oh, well, at the turn of the century, there was only a half a billion people in, my, in, in his grandfather's lifetime. I said, yeah, how far back does it go? He said, well, it's a, it's a very curious question. I'm curious why you ask. He said, it, we, we can go back about 100,000 years. And by the way, you can't go back that far with the human population, but he said about 100,000 years. I said, okay, I'm just kind of curious. From what I study with evolution, it says we've been here for 3 million years. Humans have been here 3 million years. How come we're only at 7 billion right now? We should have reached 7 billion 2.9999 million years ago. Why aren't we exponentially more than that? His answer, after he, he kind of, all he could do is say, well, uh, uh, you need to study math. I'm like, no, I get it. You already told me. It goes back 100,000 years. And so he goes on to say, well, Albert Einstein uh, discovered something uh, called the exponential growth curve, and he, he titled it the letter E. And, of course, they realize now I'm a creationist, and so he's basically making fun of me. I, I put it online. I went ahead and put him making fun of me online. So if you go to our website, creationtoday.org, you can read a blog that I just did on Bill Nye. And I put the video there because I, I filmed it. But all he could say is, well, you need to go study math a little bit more. Hey, did you know that if the human population today is at 7.1 billion and you trace it backwards, right now it's at 1.7% population growth per year. If you lower that down to about 0.47%, less than half a percent, it goes back 4,400 years, right when Noah would have been getting off the ark. If we've been here for 3 million years, we should be on top of 150 miles of nothing but human bones. No, mankind hasn't been here for three million years like evolutionists claim. Um, oh, i got to skip this good video, but I'm going to skip this. Uh, how many of you guys remember in, uh, in Stark, Florida this summer, they dedicated the first monument to atheism in the history of America? You guys remember that happening here in, here in Florida? You, you missed it. <laughs> A historic event. Well, it was happening in my home state, so I heard, hey, atheists are going are gonna to actually dedicate a monument to atheism here in America because they couldn't get the Ten Commandments removed. They said, well, fine. We'll put our own monument up. So they put up this monument right there. There it is. That's their monument. They said, we want something that's practical, not the Ten Commandments. So they made a bench. Said, we want a practical. And they dedicated it. That right there is David Silverman. Uh, he's the president of the American Atheist Association. And so I went to the ceremony. I said, this ought to be fun. <laughs> so I went there to the ceremony. I'm checking it out. I'm talking with the different atheists, interviewing them and things like that. And... and uh, once they, they did about an hour-long ceremony, then they unveiled the monument. They went over there, and they were taking pictures and celebrating and taking pictures with David Silverman. And, and I thought, you know, somebody should tell these atheists the truth. Here they are gathered together. What a great opportunity. Somebody should just, you know, preach the gospel to them. Maybe I should, maybe I should just tell them the truth about God. God, you, you want me to do that? 
They said they wanted their monument to be practical. I mean, you can see the bench and, and the column on the side. It's about a one, one and a half foot by one and a half foot column. So it's, it's almost like a, like a podium. As I'm thinking through this in my mind, going, God, do you really want me to tell them the gospel right here, right now? David Silverman, the president of the American Atheist Association, I just debated him a few months earlier on a, on a show. He turned around and he goes, are you photobombing me? And I went, you know what? That's my cue. <laughs> I said, nope. I stepped up and I stood up on top of that monument and I preached to all the atheists in the crowd. <laughs> so let's just get the truth out there right now. The first thing I said, I got up there and I said, I'd like to thank the tolerance of the American atheists. Because they preach tolerance, right? And once I thank them for their tolerance, what can they say about me being on their monument? You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> and then I began to preach the gospel. It took all of about 15 to 20 seconds. You can watch the video on YouTube, youtube.com slash creation today, our, our, our YouTube channel. It took all of about 15 to 30 seconds for them to no longer be tolerant. Not tolerant at all. And they began cursing and swearing. And then they, one guy said, where's the Romans? Where's the lions? And I thought, you know what? There are places in the world now and throughout history that doing what I do would get you killed. And I had to ask myself, would I be willing to die to preach the gospel? You know, more than... More than dying for Christ, I, I wonder how many of us are actually willing to live for Christ. Are we actually willing to go out those doors, go into our comfortable environment? I mean, I don't think I have to tell you, people are jealous of Marco Island. <laughs> you kind of got it made around here, okay? Are you willing to go into your comfortable environment and live for God rather than yourself? You don't have to die for Christ yet. I think that could come. I think that could happen in my lifetime. But would you just be willing to live for Christ right now? Anyway, the news media got a hold of this. The creation evangelist mounts America's first atheist monument at, un at unveiling. Preaches gospel. <laughs> Man. Hey, guys, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Atheists claim, the skeptics claim, that, uh, that they're not a religious worldview. I beg to differ. Check it is out. atheism a positive force in the United States? Here's a report that ABC's Dan Harris filed for Nightline. To be baptism, my son, you're saying, uh, there's a little sinner out here. This ceremony you're seeing right here is called a de-baptism. It is the latest public display of brash, bald-faced blasphemy from an increasingly aggressive atheist community. The ringleader is this guy here, Edwin Kagan, one of atheism's premier provocateurs. He says his community is at war. Atheists have no chance whatsoever of prevailing in a direct confrontation with believers. There are far too many of them. I've called this phenomenon the American religious civil war. Any of you who wish to be debaptized, will you rise, please? Just rise. Whoa. 
they're going and getting debaptized. In other words, they'd gotten baptized at some point in their life, and they got a guy with a hair dryer blowing the water off symbolically, saying, I don't believe anymore. I'm rejecting this. Did you know 75 to 85% of kids that grow up in a Christian home and then attend a secular college will reject God after one year of college? Do you know why that's happening? It's because 75 to 85% of kids that grow up in Christian homes aren't Christians. They've got mom and dad's faith, but they never got their own faith. They watched what God did in one generation, but he hasn't done it in them yet. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those that left us were never among us, according to James. Hey, how many of you have ever wondered, does God exist? You ever wondered that? You ever questioned God? God, are you really there? Do you, this is church. Come on now. How many of you have ever wondered, does God exist? I'm really wondering. How many, okay, many of us. Okay, let me ask this. Do you believe in God? How many of you believe in God? All right. Now, if I were to ask you why, I'm curious what you would say. Why do you believe in God? You know what I find a lot of people saying? Uh, um, I don't know. I was raised that way. That's just what I've always been taught. Uh, something about faith, I guess. I don't know. I find a lot of people that can't defend their faith in God. Why do they believe in God? You know, there's an ancient Hindu proverb uh, of six blind men and an elephant. Any of you ever heard this proverb before, the six blind men and the elephant? They teach it in, in, in uh, religion and psychology classes today in the, in the universities. Anyway, the, the Hindu proverb says, six blind men came upon an elephant. They wanted to discover what it was. One blind man grabbed the trunk and said, it's a snake. Another grabbed the tusk and said, no, 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 it's a spear. One grabbed the leg and said, no, this is a tree. One grabbed the ear and said, no, this is a fan. One pushed the side and said, no, it's a wall. And one grabbed the tail and said, no, this is a rope. And the proverb goes on to say, listen, all the different religions are seeing a different aspect of the truth. They're all right in their own respects. What's the problem with the analogy? They're all wrong. That's exactly right. It's not a tree. It's not a snake. It's not a rope. It's not a spear. It's not a wall and it's not a fan. What is it? So how do we know what the elephant is, so to speak, when it comes to religion? How do we know that Christianity is true? Let me ask you a question that the atheists would love to ask you if they were challenging you one-on-one. -on -one. If you were brought up in a Hindu country, raised by Hindu parents, and that's all you ever knew all your life, would you be a Hindu right now? Think about it. Raised by Hindu parents in a Hindu country, you're brought up in India, that's all you ever knew, would you be Hindu right now? Just think about it. Had one guy say, yes, but I'd only be a Hindu out of ignorance. Okay, let me ask you guys something. How do you know you're not just a Christian out of ignorance? This is what the skeptics will say to you. Hey, you grew, you're, you've grown up in a Christian country. You're just a Christian because either your parents did that or that's just the kind of the thing to do here or whatever. But, hey, how do you know you're not a Christian out of ignorance? In other words, can you defend your faith? Do you know that this is true or are you just kind of... I'm just going along with somebody's flow of, uh, I hope they're right. I hope they got it figured out. Joe Blood the Skeptic says, Religious belief is irrational because of the utter lack of evidence for God's existence. How many of you have ever asked, uh, how many of you have ever had somebody ask you for evidence of God's existence? So yeah, prove it. You ever had that happen? Let me ask you something. Do you think that if you give them evidence of God's existence that they'll convert and, and decide to trust and believe in God? We did a debate called the Unbelievable Debates. It's available on our website. 
And this unbelievable debate series, we're debating a guy in the UK, in England. And he said it so perfectly. I just, I got to play the audio clip of this debate of what he said, because I just, I couldn't believe an atheist was actually admitting what he was admitting. Listen to this. Had um, with uh, another Christian actually last night, and we were sort of discussing um, just what would it take to convince an atheist that the resurrection had happened. And I said to him, "Well, if we had affidavits from the Roman guards standing at the foot of the cross that they'd seen the resurrection take place, they'd seen the body taken down, they'd seen the body taken to the grave." They'd stayed by the body, and they'd actually seen the stone being rolled away, and Jesus come out, and they'd stayed with Jesus all through the 40 days, and watched him ascend to heaven. And that was documented, and that was authenticated. Would an atheist accept it? And I said, no. And that, that, that is really the key. Evidence is not the issue. Does evidence matter to the unbeliever? Not a bit. You know what this tells us? This tells us that they don't want God. Nothing, no intellectual argument is going, to get, is going to convince them. They'll say things like, well, belief in God is not only irrational, it's dangerous and must be eliminated. I wish I had time to go into the number of people that have died in the name of religion versus the number of people who have died in the name of atheism. Over here, thousands. Over here, millions, hundreds of millions in the name of atheism. Unbelievable. Anyway, I don't have time to cover that. Let me give you four questions real quick. Four questions that you need to ask. Write these down. Here's the four questions you need to ask a skeptic. The first three set your world up for, uh, for, for true, and the last question undermines his worldview. Okay, we got to do this quickly. Question number one, is it impossible for the God of the Bible to exist? Now, if you, don't know, any, if you know anything about skeptics, you'll know they don't think anything is impossible. For them, anything can happen. So when you ask this question, is it impossible, you've kind of loaded the question where, hey, Nothing's impossible. So when you say, is it impossible for God to exist? They'll say, no, that's not impossible. So they've given you an avenue to God's existence. Then you ask them this question, question number two. Is it impossible for the Bible to be what it claims to be? This book claims to be revelation from God. Is that impossible? Well, again, nothing's impossible. They'll say, no, that's not impossible. Then I ask them this. Hey, could the God of the Bible reveal things to us so that we could be certain of them? Could an all-powerful God make us certain of things? Well, nothing's impossible, so sure, an all-powerful God could do that. Then that, those are the three questions. Then I ask them one question, and it totally undermines their worldview. I've won the debate in this last question. You ready to learn how to win the debate? Write this one down. Ready? I ask them, could you be wrong about everything you think you know? What do you think they say? Yeah, I could be wrong about everything I think I know. What? How hard is it to win a debate against somebody who says, I could be wrong about everything I'm about to say? You win by default. <laughs> if they admit they could be wrong about everything, there's no arguing taking place there. Now, they will continue to argue, but what they don't understand is they've defeated themselves at the very beginning when they say they could be wrong about everything they think they know. I was in a debate with a guy in England named Alex Botton. Uh, Skype debate. And uh, he said, I asked him, I said, could you be wrong about everything you think you know? He said, I could be wrong about everything I think I know. Well, I tried to explain to him the problem. He didn't get it. A couple days later, I tweeted something. I'm on Twitter, Eric Hoven, and I tweeted, I said, hey, the truths of God are not a matter of belief or unbelief. They're a matter of acceptance or rejection. In other words, this is true whether you believe it or not. The matter of question is, do you accept it or reject it? 
Alex, the guy I just debated, he chimed in on the Twitter conversation. He said, that's fallacious. In other words, that's not true. So I reminded Alex of what he had said in the debate. I said, yeah, Alex, but you could be wrong. He replied, I could be, but so could you, and I'm not. Uh, men, I need to teach you something here. Your, your wives already know this. Men, let me teach you something. You can't say, I could be wrong, but I'm not, in the same sentence, and it makes sense. Okay? That is logically absurd. All right? You're not, you're not going together. You can say it, but it doesn't make sense. So I had to tell Alex what he said. I, I couldn't help myself. I said, Alex, you just contradicted yourself in one tweet, LOL. <laughs> you can't say, I could be wrong, but I'm not. That is not logical. Okay? It's like, okay, could you or not? Those don't go together. Everybody get that? You guys understand? Okay, not going too fast here. All right. Well, David Hume is a famous atheist, and he concluded exactly what all atheists, all skeptics must conclude. He said, we really have no good reason to believe that the world outside of us resembles the perceptual images inside of us. What is he saying? He's saying, I've got no way to tell if what I think is happening is really happening. I don't know if you're really sitting here or not. I don't know if I'm even here or not. The atheist must conclude that he knows absolutely nothing. That's what they must conclude. That they could be wrong about everything they think they know. And let me tell you the problem. A.A. Hodges, actually, let's have him teach us. This is back from 1886. He put it perfectly. He said, if every party of the state has the right of excluding from the public school whatever he does not believe to be true, then he that believes the most must give way to him that believes the least. And then he that believes the least must give way to him that believes absolutely nothing. And our universities today are teaching the kids we don't know anything to be true. They're paying to go learn that there's nothing to learn. It is absurd in the highest degree. That's exactly what's happening. Mitch Stokes said, science without good philosophy distorts and stunts our growth. At its best, unaided science results in idiot savants. In other words, you got these scientists that are brilliant. But their philosophy, their worldview says they don't know anything. So they're really smart idiots. <laughs> That's what we must conclude. They are idiot savants. Uh, anyway, oh, by the way, the great book, Shot of Fates of the Head. If you want to understand what true biblical faith is all about, Shot of Fates of the Head is a great book. Oh, let me just say you real quick, because I don't want to take time at the end. We, I, I had our guys put a package together uh, for you that I brought here. It's an entire year of this kind of training. One lesson every week for 52 weeks. And so I got a package, if you guys want to, if you're like, hey, okay, I want to either get this or I want to study this, I got a package together that you would absolutely love, and normally I, I said, guys, cut it down, make it as cheap as you possibly can, because I'm going to Marco Island, they can't afford anything, so <laughs> normally that's $427, and they knocked it down to $255, so if, if you want to take advantage of that, great, if not, no big deal, okay? All right, so that's just one thing that's available. Okay, um, when I'm in conversations with atheists, sometimes I'll ask them this question, hey, if I could prove God to your satisfaction, would you worship him? What do you think they say? Watch. I was at the Reason Rally. In if I DC. could prove to your satisfaction that God, the God of the Bible exists, would you worship him? No. If you could prove to my satisfaction that God does exist, the God of the Bible uh, exists, would I worship him? No. Why not? Because he's kind of a jerk. Absolutely not. Because he's unworthy of my worship. 
I'm his moral superior. Thank you for your time. He makes Adolf Hitler look like a choir boy by I would not. Um, just because someone created us does not mean we're divinely tied to um, blindly worship them. If I could prove God to your satisfaction, the God of the Bible, would you worship him? Um, probably, I mean, if you could prove, so, I mean, are you going to prove? If I could prove the creator to your satisfaction, would you worship him? You haven't done that. So it's not, I'm, a, I'm asking, if I could, we're asking atheists why they are atheists. Why are you an atheist? Simply lack of evidence. Lack of evidence in God? Yes. If I could prove God's existence to you, would you worship him? I'd say that I would accept his existence. Would you worship him? That's an entirely different question. Uh, probably not, 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 not. Hey, guys. They don't want evidence of God. They're like a thief. The thief isn't looking for the cop. He's not looking for the policeman. He's running from him. And guys, the skeptic isn't looking for God. He's running from God. You need to understand something. When you talk to a skeptic, you need to understand that they do know that God exists. But they're running from him. That'll change your tactic. No longer do you need to try to prove God to the skeptic. They know he exists. <laughs> you need to show them that their reasoning comes from God. They couldn't reason without God. You know, there's a, a famous book out. It's a best-selling book among pastors that are starting churches. It's called Jim and Casper Go to Church. This guy, Jim, is a pastor. He takes Casper, an atheist, around to a lot of the major churches in America today and has Casper write down his thoughts about what you guys do in your church. Interesting read. Well, at the end of the book, Jim, the pastor, answers questions that people had written in. One of the questions was this. Here's a question that was written in. Casper, that's the atheist, Casper says that Christians' certainty often worries him, especially when those Christians claim to present the truth. While we obviously have to be careful when we make claims, are there some truths that Christians ought to stand on? What about I am the way, the truth, and the life? Here's Jim, the pastor's response. See if you can distinguish how well he responds here. He says, there's a difference between certainty and confidence or hope. As followers of Jesus, we put our faith in a set of beliefs that we choose to think of as real. We can't prove any of them. That's why it's called faith. What bothers non-believers is when we assert that we know something when they know that none of us can know anything until we die. I don't know how they'd know that because they're not dead, but anyway. <laughs> he said, I'm very comfortable asserting my faith and my hope and my confidence that Jesus is God, but I will not say that I know he is God in the same way I say I know there's gravity. He goes, I hope the story I bet my life on is true, but neither Casper nor I will know for sure until both of us are dead. Atheists are very surprised when they hear me say this and wonder why more Christians can't admit these things. They are not offended in the least by my faith, hope, or confidence. I feel no need to try to prove that I'm right and they're wrong. All any of us really has is our own story. If we have had a real encounter with the living God, then they will simply have to deal with it in whatever way they choose. I don't know how theologically you know, trained you are, but let me just tell you what's going on. If Jim, the pastor, if he really believes what he wrote here, then he's not a Christian. 
I hope the story I'm betting my life on is true. I don't know that Jesus is God in the same way I know there's gravity. Well, okay, if I said, you know, I, I, I've, I've been married for 14 years, had a wonderful relationship with my wife, Tanya. We even had three kids together. And then I discovered my wife wasn't real. Does that make sense? See, see, being a Christian, salvation is all about having a relationship with Christ. How do you have a relationship with somebody that you're not sure exists? That doesn't make sense, does it? All right, let me leave you with a, with a closing thought here, okay? This is going to be a little bit complicated. I saved it for the end, so hopefully you've had your nap, you're warmed up, you're ready to learn something, okay? This is really going to be complicated. I really need you to think with me on this. Last, last little thought here, okay? Here's the thought. If you could be wrong, then you don't know. How many of you can figure that out with not much help? If you could be wrong, then you don't really know. For example, if I said the speed limit outside is, 30, is 45 miles an hour, but I could be wrong. Do I know what it is if I say I could be wrong? No. If I said the, uh, the Sears Tower is 1,571 feet tall, but I could be wrong, then do I know what the height of the Sears Tower is? No, because if I say I could be wrong, then I don't know. Okay, now, let's take all the knowledge in the entire universe, everything there is to know about everything. By the way, that's the only Google image I could come up for with all knowledge, come up with for all knowledge. Uh, out of all the calculus and trigonometry and languages and, you know, what the fleas are doing on the dog, everything, out of everything there is to know about everything, how much knowledge do you have? Yeah. That's stretching it for me, okay? I think I'd be, you know, well, I don't think I can go tight enough. <laughs> we don't have a whole lot, do we? Let, let's just, for sake of illustration, let's ex exaggerate for all the men in here and say, we think we've got a massive 1% of all the knowledge in the universe. Wow. Let me ask you something. Ponder this, and, and really ponder this. Think about this. Is it possible that out of the 99% of knowledge that you don't have, something could contradict... The 1% that you think you do have, is that possible? I told you this is going to be deep. I really want you to think about this. Is it possible that out of the 99% of knowledge that you don't have, something out there could actually contradict the 1% that you think you do have? Is that possible? Some of you guys are like, I don't know, just tell me. <laughs> We're not supposed to think, it's church. <laughs> Think about this. Is it possible that out of the 99% of stuff that you don't know, something out there could actually prove wrong the 1% that you think you do know? So, a lot of people are saying yes. So, what you're saying is, you could be wrong about that 1%. Stay with me, guys. Come on, come on, come on. Stay with me. Okay, come on. So, you could be wrong about that 1%. Is that what you're saying? You guys are like, Eric, I don't like this game. Stop it. <laughs> hey, it is logically sound. It's logically true that if you thought you had 1% of all the knowledge in the universe and something out there could contradict that 1%, then you could be wrong about that 1% and you could know absolutely nothing. Because if you could be wrong, then you don't really know, do you? So you could be wrong about that 1%. That means you don't know anything. <laughs> Let's close in a word of prayer. 
I'm just kidding. Let's fix this. Hold it. Hold it. Wait, wait, wait. We got a problem. Ah, we don't know anything. Hey, it is logically sound. Because if you could be wrong, you don't really know. It's logically sound to say you would have to know everything in order to know anything at all. Because otherwise, you could be wrong. You would have to know everything in order to know anything at all. Anybody here know everything? Then you could be wrong, and that means you don't know anything. You could, you'd have to know everything in order to know anything. How many of you guys are like, okay, there's got to be an answer. What's the answer to this? How do you figure this out? You'd have to know everything in order to know anything. Or... You have to know someone who knows everything in order to know anything. I know this is deep. I know this is like philosophy 101, okay? But think with me. You have to know everything in order to know anything, or you have to know someone who knows everything, who can tell you things so that you can know things to be true. If the one who knows everything tells you things, can you trust them? Yes. Guys, 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 guys. We've got the one who knows everything, and he's revealed truth to us. Thank you. Whoa. Those of you that are still confused, talk to me afterwards. I'll be right down here, okay? (laughs) Guys, you would have to know everything in order to know anything, or you would have to have revelation from somebody who does know everything. The only way to actually have knowledge is to have revelation from the one who knows it all. Otherwise, you couldn't know anything. So let's ask ourselves, do we know anything? You're like, I don't know, just tell me. (laughs) Does two plus two equal four? Oh, so you do know things. You do know things, don't you? Does it hurt when you stub your toe? Yeah. You guys have knowledge. That knowledge would be impossible without God. The proof of God, without God, you can't know anything. You can't have knowledge apart from God. It's impossible. I know that was theological, I know that was philosophical, I know that kind of goes down deep. But did you know this is why an unbeliever, the skeptic, and we're almost done, I know, I know, we're almost done. You guys are used to being on time, okay, sorry. I only get one shot with you, this is all I got, okay, I'm leaving after this. Why does the atheist, why does the skeptic say, I could be wrong about everything, I don't know anything? Because to admit knowledge is to admit God. To say you know something means that you've had revelation from the one that knows everything. And if you don't go outside of yourself, then you could be wrong about everything. And you don't know anything. Some of you don't see the genius of that. That's okay. We'll forgive you, okay? It really is incredible, though. Well, we decided we want to teach people the truth. We went right from the very beginning, right from Genesis. And so uh, we decided let's go to the... The place that's having the influence. Did you know in our culture, in in America, there are more than 400,000 churches in America? There are 6,000 movie theaters. Let me ask you something. Which one do you think is having more of an impact? So we decided let's go to where the impact is taking place. Let's let our light shine on a hill, a big hill. So we decided we'd start making a movie called Genesis. We're actually doing a 3D version of Genesis allowing people to see and watch creation take place right before their eyes. Let me show you a little preview of Genesis. Oh, there it is.
this era of history, the questions go like this. You believe the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? How do you know the Bible is true? Where did God come from? Who made God anyway? You believe in Noah's flood? No way. There's no evidence for the flood. Anyway, Noah couldn't fit all those animals on the ark. How could he build an ark big enough? There's no way that they could fit. You believe we go back to Adam and Eve? Where did Cain get his wife? Where did the races of people come from? Don't dinosaurs disprove the Bible anyway? Doesn't carbon-14 disprove the Bible? They're the sorts of questions that I get asked. And what we need to do is to make sure we start right at the very beginning in Genesis, answer the skeptical questions that are causing people to doubt that that book is true, to help them understand that history is true, that's why the gospel based in that history is true. Anyway, I'm really excited about this project, and our goal is to get this into theaters. So, Lord willing, it'll be in a theater near you uh, in about a little more than one year. We've got a lot of work to do. So please be in prayer for us. We just want to impact this culture with the absolute truth, revelation from God himself. That's our desire. That's our goal is to teach people the foundational truth. Hey, let me ask you, do you know why you believe what you believe? Are you a Christian out of ignorance? Are you a Christian because of the culture? Or are you a Christian because the Holy Spirit has changed your life? He's given you a spiritual life and given you spiritual eyes to see spiritual things. If you don't know why you're a Christian, I encourage you to, ch to check that out. I challenge you. Check that out. Know the truth. Let that truth set you free. I know we've got to be done. I know it's already a little bit. You guys should start the service a little bit earlier, just so you know. I'm, I'm getting hungry, okay? So just an idea. Um, but um, I, I just I want you to know that our, our job, our goal as a ministry is to go out and tell people the truth about creation about the Bible and how to defend our faith in God's Word. And I hope that you are better equipped to understand that, look, without God, we can't even have knowledge. That is foundational. That is bare bones foundational. That is theology 101. We must have God. That's why, by the way, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of knowledge. God really is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Okay? It's, it's true. It's really true what's written in there. I encourage you to study it. And I encourage your church, man. Like I've heard from Casey as I talk to him. I hope your church just continues to be the real deal. Following and seeking after God. Loving God and loving others. Nothing else matters. Hey, if you're a skeptic, I'm going to pray that God grants you repentance and allows you to see him like you've never seen him before. For those of you that have family that are skeptics, I encourage you. Love them. They're blind. They are spiritually blind. If a, man, a blind man was walking through and tripped and fell down right here, I wouldn't make fun of him. I try to help him. In the same way, would you love on the blind? Would you love on them and pray that God would allow them to see the truth? Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us these few brief moments out of our incredibly busy lives. 
God, there's so much going on in our world, and God, we're concerned, we're worried, we see the signs of the times, and God, God, would we just pause? Would we just rest? And would we not fear, but would we trust in you? God, we don't know what's going to happen, but we know who controls it. And God, if you need to bring judgment, then you bring your judgment, and we trust you. And God, if you, need to, if you need to change some things around, then you change some things around. We trust you. God, in our own personal lives, would you challenge us to, to reorganize our priorities to make sure that you are at the top of everything, not just Sundays, but every day, every moment that we live our lives, would you be the priority? Would we live our lives for your glory? God, for the skeptics, I pray that you'd open their eyes, allow them to see the truth and your precious and holy Holy, holy name, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things, amen, amen. Thanks so much, Eric, for uh, sharing this morning. If you have any questions for Eric, Eric's going to be right up here uh, afterwards. I know he'd love to meet you and to uh, shake your hand, and if you have any questions, he'd love to meet with you and uh, answer any other questions. Also in the back. He has a resource table that um, a lot of good DVDs and books out there. He would just to help educate you and uh, help you can be ready to defend your faith and uh, share uh, the gospel with uh, your friends and uh, and to live for the Lord. So would you stand as we close with scripture? And don't forget, uh, Men's Life is having a meeting just after the service. Uh, I'm going to close with this passage from Hebrews. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time.